Hi folks, and welcome back to Ukes with Alex. This is the podcast, it's episode two. And many of you who have clicked on this will already know the man, the myth, the legend. But my guest today is Pete Howlett. Hi Pete, how are you doing? Good morning, good to yeah. see you. It's great to see you. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, I'm good. You've caught me at the right time of day. Dopamine levels are high, drugs are kicked in. I've done a bit of work in the workshop, and so I feel ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm sure most people know already that you build ukuleles because the name Pete Howlett, really UK luthier legends, I, and I am blowing smoke up your ass deliberately, but you, you are the ukulele man for the UK. You are the person we export in the Eurovision ukulele contest of builders. You would be the man we put forth. Could you just tell people a little bit about yourself and uh, where you're based and a bit about what brought you to the ukulele in the first place? Okay, so if I start at the beginning and then take you to the end, is that okay? Right. Right, okay. Well, um, in 1994, uh, I found myself in Arlington, Texas at the Marriott Hotel Conference Center doing a guitar show. Opposite us uh, in the actual hall was a guy called Collier Thielen. I just want to tell you a little bit of story about Collie Thielen because he's very important. He's responsible for the applause ukulele. Okay. He, he, spent, he spent over 10 years trying to petition Ovation to make this ukulele because Ovation is an extremely popular instrument in Hawaii. And Collier was based in Hawaii. And um, so the Ovation guitar, very, very popular instrument. And uh, Collier was trying to press him to get them to make a ukulele. So that's how the applause came about. The other thing about Colliathene, and he has a connection with one of your largest brands in the sense that he mentored the actual guy of that brand through the process of actually designing and launching the ukulele range, which has become one of the premier uh, Chinese made brands, Mike Upton. Oh, really? Uh, that, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, Mike, um, Mike's somebody who really likes to listen and learn. So I'm sure he's yeah. plenty of mentors so, so, over the years. Yeah, so Colliathene mentored him. Yeah, I think I think Mike was originally with the Melanikai. He was. So, yeah. um, so this was my contact, and the, be, be, I met him at the show. He had six guitars in glass cases, and these were vintage guitars. So, so a pre-war 1936 triple 42, uh, all the bling on it. The the actual the, that really tiny little um, parlor guitar that they found in Salt Lake with the ivory bridge and the ivory fingerboard. Uh, yeah, that, one, yeah. You know, the, the very first national. He had all these in a. In a, in a glass case, it's not selling anything because you've gone to the show to buy soprano ukulele at $80 a pop. Right. You know, Martin, Martin Sopranos, $80 a pop back in 1994. And um, we had a little Turks guitar. And uh, he came across, he said, you know, I really like these Turks guitars. I just couldn't sell them in Hawaii. Can you make ukulele? So I said, never seen one. He said, well, can you make one? I said, well, if I can make these, I could probably make a ukulele for you. So he said, well, we're coming back in three months' time because we, we won this award. We're able to sort of travel on these two, two marketing trips to Texas. That, that's another story. It's too long for this interview. But, hey, um, for another one, though. It sounds interesting. Yeah, the Texas thing. Um, visit to Collins Guitars, quite interesting. Um, anyway, um, we, we went back the, the three months later and uh, in the presidential suite at the Marriott Hotel, I measured up two ukuleles and I got two sets of wood but not the ukulele. I wanted to take the ukulele with me, so I had more chance to actually look inside and stuff like that. Right. So I built these two ukuleles and I sent them off to Hawaii. And um, 
Two weeks later, I phoned up and said, how the ukuleles is? So the bridges have come off. So I thought, that's it, finished, I'm done. This is it, I'm, I'm, I've screwed it. He said, the build quality was brilliant, but you need to phone Bob Gleason. Now, Bob Gleason is the owner of Pegasus Guitars. He's the grandfather of boutique instruments in Hawaii. He's the guy who went originally, the original American to go from there to Hawaii as a non-Hawaiian, set up a business, um, do coa plantation and, and stuff like that and conservation. Um, and his mantra is, I need to wake up in the morning in seven different ways of making money. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, but Bob became my mentor. So in the early days, you know, when I was cracking ribs and, and couldn't bend coa and trying to understand how it worked, I'd be phoning, on the phone to him in the middle of the night, which is early morning over there, crying and saying, Bob, help me, I can't get these ribs to bend. You know, so he gave me one of the most amazing bits of advice. I said, you're going to use a lot of super glue in this business. <laughs> Fair enough. I remember uh, Jay Souza saying to me uh, about how he used to make braces out of chopsticks. So they'd eat Chinese every night so that he could collect the chopsticks because he couldn't buy them in the shop. Oh. So we all done crazy things in the early days. Yeah. Anyway, I learned to build ukuleles as a result of having this contract to make about four to six instruments a month and send them over to Hawaii. And this was a really incredibly extraordinary thing. I mean, yeah. an English guy living in Wales, and my workshop then was a, a, a stable attached to a chapel. Now the stable was about six foot, seven foot long, by five foot wide. The preacher used to put his horse in there, preach a sermon, and then just, just go off. You could only really build ukuleles in a, in a workshop that dimension. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. the cool thing, but I was building Weiss and Borns and guitars as well at the oh. same time in that space, you know, so. Um, and so I had, I, I would be sent a pile of koa and I would send back these completed instruments. Wow. And um, it was just, I look back on this and this is just, it's like the planets just became aligned and I was in the right place at the right time. Two years later, after 1994, about 95, 96, um, I split from Tony Revel, who I was working with, and then went on my own. And then that's when the hard part started because... Although I had this, 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 this base order for ukuleles to Hawaii, I wanted to expand that out and I couldn't. And I couldn't because there was no market at the time. There was no internet. When I mean internet, I mean internet as we know it today with it was social media and all the other stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't the uh, e-commerce juggernaut that it is now. No, no. Um, and I had no contacts at all. I only had this guy in Hawaii. So I first started with American stores. So elderly instruments, Griffin Instruments, a shade tree, um, uh, a number of others, uh, Dusty Strings, took my instruments. So I was, and, and, and John Bonunzio in New York. And so I had these people taking my instruments that so still couldn't develop a, a, a business in the UK. Now, if you, if you know at the time about the history of ukulele, there were two companies working in Hawaii who were producing own quantity. One was Maui Music, made yeah. up by Peter Liebman, and the other one was Kamaka, and we all know who Kamaka is. Yeah, I suppose during 1993, um, Aloha has started up. Yeah, but they were still experimenting. They spent the first two years doing crazy stuff like uh, ribs, continuous ribs, one piece of wood. Very innovative, doing the unibrace and all the other things and the special sound all they have. So yeah, they were the only other people, and then there were a few boutique builders. And what the problem was was because there were just so few makers, the quality wasn't there in the in the in in the Kamaka and uh, Maui factories. No one to push them. If no one's and pushing that, them through. Indifference. Yeah. You know, there, there was just that indifference because the market was already there. 
And so it was, you know, I had so many struggles in those early years. Um, I've actually, this is the fourth time I've had a workshop. They've all been in Wales, apart from one which was in America. I did a stint in America. Um, But trying to actually get into the consciousness of the, 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 the ukulele world was so difficult. The club, there weren't the many, there weren't many clubs. There was a Formby Society, of course. Yeah. And that's about banjo ukulele. And I mean, it has its place, but it is very difficult uh, if you are a, a kind of have a broad idea of what music is to join a society where it has a single goal. Yeah. Playing just one man's music, and and if it's a music you can't relate to, it's really hard to sort of re- relate to the people there because they're extremely. They're so one style, isn't it? And you know, yeah. part of those people that love that kind yeah, of thing. Great group. Yeah, you, you go there, you can see the most incredible fan technique and, yeah. and, and, and copy playing and people playing and singing almost exactly like Formby. You know, that, that, that is a, a complete genre technique in its own right. But there were two people in that society who helped me out. One was called John, uh, John Croft. And the other one was um, Ray Bernard. Ray Bernard was um, George Harrison's ukulele pimp. So he would get he, he would get the ukulele for George. So all the all the ukulele you see George playing was supplied to him by a guy called Ray Bernard, and he loved Ray Bernard because Ray Bernard was a most amazing banjo ukulele player, an incredible banjo ukulele player because he had a, a sensitivity. So he wasn't there with a machine gun in his hand. You know, he had this 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 beautiful technique of playing. And of course, John Croft is the ukulele man. You probably know John. He's, he's quite a unique yeah. fellow over in Oswald Street. Um, but buying and selling ukulele. And he brought me something which I've never seen before. I've only ever seen one of them. And that was a machete. Uh, the actual original um, pattern for the ukulele. Yeah. Uh, the, the Portuguese machete or bragina. And he had it in a coffin case. And this little thing was like an absolute cannon. It was 12 on the dial. It had a tiny little uh, rose of body with a spruce front with the bridge right the way down the bottom. Beautiful peghead, lovely, beautiful built instrument uh, in the Spanish style. And it played absolutely, it was just like playing butter. You know, it's just beautiful. And so those two really helped me out in terms of getting my initial connections. But in those first years, oh, I made soprano after soprano after soprano. And when Ken Timms came along, I thought, great, I can stop doing it now. You know, I, it, it, was, it was just, and I, I couldn't, I, I sold probably about four or five tenors in the first 10 years of, in, in the UK. It's madness how these trends change. I'm, yeah, I mean, it was, the, it was a hard time to start, but I suppose it gave you those formative years to refine what you do. Um, yeah, and, and you know, and, and this, is, this is a portion. Yeah, this is a caution to people who think that ukulele business is an easy business. It's not an easy business. Um, I am very fortunate because of what you said right at the very beginning. I've been doing this for 26 years. Yeah. And um, if you do something long enough, you get into people's consciousness, like Ralph Bowne. You know, Ralph Bowne is in the folk guitar consciousness. You know, if somebody wants a bridge-built guitar, it won't be a file, it would be a Ralph Bowne or yeah. a Stefan Snowbell. You know, and, and, and so you have to be doing it long enough. And in order to do it long enough, you have to be able to pay the bills. The difficulty between getting from £400 to £1,400 to £3,400 is amazingly difficult. So it wasn't until 2004 that things started to really pick up. 
and in that time, you know, the ukulele orchestra of Great Britain were my clients. Right. Um, I got them on board, and um, I had a number of other people playing my instruments. Nobody particularly famous, um, but but you know, I, it was starting to grow and grow and grow every time I restarted it. So every time I I couldn't manage the debt situation anymore, I went back to uh, my former employment, which was teaching. Right. Got my finances in order. Bought another house. Went back to making ukulele play and ukuleles. Lost the house. <laughs> went back to teaching. Well, what a horrible pattern that is, eh? <laughs> Well, it's very interesting because I was talking to a guy uh, just yesterday uh, in a different trade, and um, we've all done the same thing. You know, you, we, we've we've all made a lot, lost a lot, and uh, that's that's the business. And uh, you know, it's not particularly easy business. So if anybody's watching this and got to this point and they think, yeah, that's this sounds like a great story. It sounds like you know, Pete's had a load of fun. Yeah, there's been a lot of agony on the way as yeah. as, as well and a lot of hardship endured by my wife and family. Um, yeah, that kind of thing is what makes, it's what makes a person in a, in a roundabout way, because, I mean, your ukuleles now, they feel like an instrument that has decades of experience behind them when they're made. It has a, they so do have, have a hit. call out of that primordial ooze to get there. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and it, is, it was very difficult because, of course, the American market in guitars, in, in, in ukuleles, is the dominant market. Yeah. Now, I, for instance, in, in 2000, um, I received, well, it wasn't 2000, it was 1998, I received a phone call, a guy in the UK who was the distributor for AER, or okay. the, uh, the, the, the audio equipment and uh, keyboards and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, I'm, I have a contact in Japan who has seen one of your instruments hanging up in the lobby of the... Uh, these hotel whatever it is in Honolulu where everybody stays because the guy used to have a, a display then sell from the lobby and uh, he actually wants you to build some ukulele so get in touch with the guy he said can you build me a dozen um, soprano ukulele in the style of the uh, Kamaka Sunny D uh, one I said yeah I could do that but I can't build you 12 I've got to build you 24 uh, that's okay and you've got to pay for the whole lot up front that's okay you know so I had Japanese clients uh, who had actually seen my work in Hawaii yeah. contact me, and that kept me going. But there still wasn't that local business. And that did not happen until 2008. And it's very interesting because 2008 was the recession. Yeah. Your experience over the last six months as a, as a ukulele store is precisely that. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> so we had this, this crash, and the great ukulele boom was in 1929 uh, to 1936, yeah. and it kind of finished. And it was over that depression period. It's exactly the same thing happened in 2008. And suddenly my order book began to fill up. Yeah. And what happened Sorry, in 2004... It's not going to be romanticised in the same way, but you're, you're so right. It's so true. In 2004, Jake recorded Weeps, Ukulele Orchestra of Great Britain went on uh, Jules Holland show and did uh, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. And those two things, not the George Harrison concert, I don't think that had any effect whatsoever uh, in terms of ukuleles. When was it that? Was, was that before or after? Yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was in um, uh, 2002 or something. Yeah, so it was like about, 2001 too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I was unaware of that. Yeah. I mean, I was, in, I was in the ukulele business. I was totally unaware of that. I didn't, I didn't see the impact, but in 2004, when Jake did that thing in the park, uh, George Harrison thing in the park, and that then became viral on YouTube, 
And then uh, later on in the year, Ukulele Orchestra Great Britain were on Jules Holland's show. That really changed everything. And uh, you could see the surge. Now, you buy from a company out in Cove Philly, and uh, we all know the, the company. Yes. They're the major importers of the Chinese brands. And um, that's when they identified it happening because they went from one container uh, uh, every uh, six months to, to one container every quarter to one container every month. Yeah, I mean, we, can, we can mention names. I mean, Mike Upton, we didn't mention earlier on. Mike Upton is uh, the owner of <coughs> Carla Ukuleles, and uh, mm. Sutherland Trading are the UK distributors for Carla, but also Lanakai and Pono. But you're right, they started, around that time, they started bring, bringing in more volume. And but it did require enthusiasts in those businesses to do that. I mean, who's the guy at Sutherland originally? So it's good right now, but the guy before him, I don't know, uh, all my time. I can't, I can't remember. But I mean, you know, he had a great sort of push for it and had to push Sutherland Trading constantly for this until they realized that's their base income now. Yeah. It's the ukuleles that keep them going. Well, so. Yeah, it's going to be a massive amount of it. But uh, yeah, they're very much the ukulele wholesalers, aren't they, of the UK, like the kind of biggest. So in 2010, I moved here into my current workshop, which is in uh, South Wales, uh, North Wales. Uh, from South Wales to North Wales, and um, I haven't had an empty order book since. So I've I've, I've had a six month advance order book since 2010. Oh. And, and 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 prior to that, I was having to stop working in the workshop and go back to uh, um, decent income. And um, you know, it's honestly, Alex, it's, it's you will know being a musician. There's, there's, there's the Super League, and then there's everybody else. Yeah. There isn't a Super League and a First Division in the music industry. There's the Super League, and there's everybody else. And it's yeah. exactly the same in the, in, in the Luthier uh, world. There's the Super League, and there's everybody else. And you only get in the Super League by doing what I've done, which is sticking at it. Yeah, by grinding away in the lower leagues for... for for a yeah. long time i mean pete uh i'm really glad you uh, you expanded upon that so much um it's probably to be honest with you it'll probably be half the interview but i'm so delighted that you gave us that really uh yeah i mean i the, the history is, is is constantly being rewritten and again this is another fallacy you know i, I mean a lot of people are starting out in the in, in the business and want to get their ukulele into the hands of jake or something like that. jake will play your instrument and be very polite about it but he has a he has his, 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 his link with Kamaka. Yeah. He's not going to take any of your ukuleles on stage and say, hey, look, you know, I'm no longer sponsored by Kamaka because I've got these wonderful ukuleles from John Smith in uh, Carlisle. Yeah, no, John it, Smith in Carlisle. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to see more of his ukuleles. Jake <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not their job, is it? You know, your job, and you'll know that as a musician, your job at the gig is to sell your music, yeah. to sell you, not to sell your brand of ukulele that you're playing. And you know, so my warning to anybody, and I hope you broadcast this, is that if you think you're going to enter this industry, and because somebody is somebody famous has said nice things about your ukulele, and you give them one that they're going to get up on stage and spend most of the evening talking about how wonderful this instrument is, you get it, mate. You know, it's not going to happen. No. Um, the people who actually have promoted my work are Paul Tucker, who used to be your manager, uh, another teacher out in um, in the Midlands. It's teachers who will promote your work. So if my advice to anybody who's starting this business who's looking around for somebody to promote their work, 
find a teacher who's got a large teaching pool. And if you're making a good value for money ukulele that, that, that the students can have, then that teacher will promote that. And I sold so many of my boat paddles that way. And it was really, really important. So, you know, just, just to dispel a myth about, you know, just because somebody has said nice things about your work, I've had loads of people say nice things about my work and then, you know, just take an instrument off me and then not promote it. So that doesn't happen anymore. All right, then. Uh, <laughs> I will make sure I broadcast that. I, uh, you talked about a few, a few of your inspirations earlier on, but uh, mm -hmm. who are you, some of your favourite modern builders that you're seeing nowadays? Yeah, no. Um, it has to be Bob Gleason. He said something very interesting about my instruments to Collier. He said, we'll see how long this guy lasts. Because my instruments are built right on the edge of destruction. They're, they're, they're built so that, 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 that they, you know, if you really abuse them, they will, be, they will fall apart. And so I've, I've done that thing that classical guitar makers do, which is build, you know, to, to that edge in order to get them the maximum yeah. into the instrument. And uh, it's interesting that over the years, I've, I've kept in touch with Bob and bought wood from him. And I actually visited him on my Winston Churchill Fellowship Travels. And... Um, yeah, he's a great builder. And of course, Chuck, um, Chuck Moore, uh, just for the actual beauty of the, the, his ability to actually visually enhance an instrument. Um, of the American builders, Bo Hannum, a uh, brilliant builder, Jake McClay. Not heard of Bo Hannum. What's, what's Bo Hannum? Oh, Bo, Bo, Bo's an Australian. He did his apprenticeship with uh, Gillet in, uh, or Gillet, Gillet in Australia, um, right. but now lives in Border, Colorado. Oh, he's, he's incredible. The way I assess whether a builder is good or not is anybody can build a ukulele. You come to my workshop, you build a ukulele on one of my courses, it will sound like a howler. But that, that, that's, that's the builder that I started out at. And then you had to start with inlay and stuff like that. And when you look at inlay, the one thing that is the test is the mitre, where you have one piece of wood meeting another and you have a 45 degree join. Bo is one of the very few people who can do perfect, perfect mitres. So if you look at your instruments now that you've bought as boutique instruments, if that's a perfect join and it looks like a continuous line without a black line between the two white bits, that's a perfect mitre. Jake McClay can do that as well. Okay. And Bo, you, you look up Bo Hannum, but Bo Hannum, it, Bo is exactly like uh, um, Bob. They're recidivist guitar makers. They much more prefer making guitars than ukulele, but ukulele pays the bills. So Bo uh, definitely is uh, as, as a great, great builder. Um, as far as Europe is concerned, uh, I'm not, I don't plug into the scene, um, but I would say uh, Juha Lotunen uh, from Finland, okay. um, absolutely incredible builder when he builds ukuleles, taught me how to use Alder, which, is, uh, which he uses exclusively for his guitar bodies and guitar necks. And um, uh, obviously Tom Siegenspeck in, uh, in uh, Germany. And, um, his instruments are... Uh you can find them through Toman, can't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, worth a look. Yeah, you can buy direct from Tom as well. Tom will take commissions. And um, As far as Britain is concerned, um, I did tell you that uh, Josh Johansson was moving back to Hawaii. They're not now. So he will be coming back to the UK. And well, I uh, played Josh's instruments and they, they were up there with the best instruments that I've ever played. And, and that's amazing because you're looking at first instruments. From they the were his there. first four instruments he'd ever yeah. built. And Rob said the same to him. And then he went to, over to see Andrew and the team at Ukulele site and they played them and they said the same thing. 
Um, yeah, the ukulele site are very interesting. They, they, they can actually see potential. So they took his instruments, they stripped the finish off, which was crazing the cracking, which I, I told him it would because he used the wrong lacquer. And uh, they refinished them for him, probably sold them. And, um, but he's coming back to the UK. And I'm so glad because I'm going to retire soon. And um, I certainly have retired from the type of instrument he's making, which is the acoustic instrument. Yeah. And, um, you know, and the thing with, with, the thing with um, Josh, he's got three qualities which are necessary to be, for me, uh, as I understand, for, for a good builder. One, humility. Two, he's got amazing craft skills. Mm. Amazing craft skills because he's made furniture, he's made shepherd's huts. He's, his furniture's unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Technically, technically, he's so competent. And thirdly, he has the best koa on the planet. <laughs> he does. I mean, having your own, his koa is his koa. How unique is that for someone based in the yeah, UK? I mean, he's a little bit like, um, uh, what's that K brand? Um, you're getting to that point in my brain, you're getting Can Malaya? Yeah. yeah so, so Josh spends three or four months of the year logging and, uh, and, 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 and converting Koa, and he sells to all of the major players in, in Hawaii. Everyone. So he's got a huge, yeah. huge expectation there, and um, hopefully he's coming back here to build. And, uh, but I, I don't know, things are a bit difficult uh, with um, the coronavirus situation. But um, what, what a builder is. His wife's lovely as well. They make a great team. I just, I really hope that we can, uh, we can work with him. Uh, well, I hope so too, because he deserves it. I mean, he, he's, he's a really, he's a super, super nice guy. Um, you know, and, and it was sort of, it was great because he can't play. He's, he's, he's deaf as well from spending years in the forest with chainsaws without any ear protection and stuff. Yeah. And so I, I spent a, a day with him and um, showing him how to do setup and what setup would look, look like and stuff like that. And when I played the instrument, both him and his wife were in tears because they hadn't actually heard it played. Mm. And I said, this is, the, this is the finished article. He is. You're right. You're so right, Pete. And that is unbelievable. It's like, like Tommy. You know, Tommy came to me for his uh, internship uh, during his degree course, and he was the finished article. You know, and it's very, 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 very rare that you meet something like that. I had to get to that point. I think, but Peter, these, what, when you were working with Tommy P as well, I think... Um, it reinvigorated you. I found just dealing with you, uh, having somebody else that yeah, had great I'd, ideas. I'd, I'd actually got into a depression because uh, I couldn't complete in any of my instruments. Mm. Tommy came along and he, I had to complete them because I had that. that and there's a young person in the workshop who'd got sort of punk ideals and stuff like that. I mean, Tom, Tommy's a character. You know, he's a complete character. I mean, what a lot of people don't know about him is that he is a national treasure as far as a bagpipe player. He plays the bagpipes. So uh, my um my condenser mic ran out of battery, so I'm I've switched to the camera audio. So he's, he's got this confirmation kit given to him by a guy in Scotland, uh, and 60 years old, and says when he does when he does the bagpipe festivals, people come along and sort of finger his kilt because it's it's a very very old tartan. Uh, you know, this guy is is amazing, absolutely amazing, Tom. You know, so if you want a very European looking instrument, um. I think Tom is a great builder, but I don't necessarily sort of agree with some of the design aspects of his instrument, which we talked about. I mean, he'll, yeah. if he watches the film, though. Um, um, but they're very useful for me. The European design, you mean kind of like the, almost like the sharper edged, kind of sharp, yeah, it's, it's, sharp it's edges. Like a, it's more like a figure eight shape. Yeah, it's a sheer, it's a more sheer design. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah if, if you look at Grenosi's work in um, Vienna, 
it's exactly the same. It has that very sort of German sort of look to it. The thing about Tommy is that uh, when he did his masterpiece for his degree, and he had to present it to these, uh, this panel, so you have Aviva, which is a live presentation, you sit there with your instrument and talk about it. And uh, these people are looking at violins, cellos, double basses, classical guitars, maybe a few steel strings. Never seen a ukulele. He said, I, I built a ukulele, and then a couple of them sniggered. And he got this thing out, his, his masterpiece, and their jaws dropped to the floor, and they said they had never seen such work in five years. Wow. And Tommy had done, Tommy had done all of that off-site. He, he, he removed his workshop from the main, main, main building and got stuck in and, and really, really pursued that. Because when he left in uh, 2016 or 15, I think when he did his 16, yeah. I reckon 16, because you did Euclid, you did the, you did Cheltenham before that stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when, he, when he left, um, I said to him, you've got to decide what you're going to be. Is it going to be a ukulele maker or is it going to be a guitar maker? Because you cannot be both. And that's my view. And I know that there are great guitar makers who make ukuleles as well, you know, Steve Grimes and people like that. But I think, you, you know, you really have to be a one-trick pony in this business. You have to focus and you have to, to do that. Because getting a great sound from a ukulele is really, really hard. You can build them, you can make them look nice, and you've probably had lots through your, your, your store that look nice, but you think, just didn't put it in the sound department. Yeah, I can, I can see where you're coming from, uh, coming from for sure. I think uh, you, can either have, you can either have super bling or you can have something that's bare bones that sounds good, and it's maybe that 3% that managed to mix both well. Um, mm when they're new certainly uh, I don't know there's so many there's so much variance but I, I do I do agree with you yeah for sure um, I'm probably gonna have to say goodbye to you soon Pete but before we do is there any chance you could just talk to us a bit about the revelator yep um, in 2000 I had a, a 2015 a diagnosis for Parkinson's disease and I uh, thought okay I've got you know, I've got three years to do my thousand ukuleles and thought, then there's the BBC program about that. What's transpired, of course, is that I've not been able to achieve that because uh, Parkinson's has had a rapid uh, effect on the, uh, my motor skills. And I bought a CNC machine to, to, to mess around with inlay and um, thought, okay, I need to use this machine a little bit more. And then developed Revelator, which is a solid bodied instrument hollowed out on the router and uh, with a standard or my new bracing system on the top to produce uh, an acoustic electric instrument that is completely, it's not unique, it's been done before by other people, I know, um, but the unique thing about my instruments is, and you will qualify this, Alex, you cannot believe the sound that comes from them. It sounds like, it sounds like a conventional instrument. Um, I've, done, I've done sound samples on several revelators and they, they stand up against anything that's got, got a thicker body or a conventional sound hole. Yeah, a completely tonally, uh, it looks completely different to how you expect it to sound. There's a little bit of the richness that you, the loss that you get from having a deeper body, which you'd understand. But when I, when I put strings on the very first Revelator, I had to sit down, I was shocked. I was actually shocked at the sound because I thought it was going to be a thin, um, nasty nasally sound and that, that's why I put the pickup in as an electroacoustic yeah. that, that it would be just sort of like a you know practice instrument that you plug in on stage it looks nice and sounds great on stage 
but no, um, it performs in a, acoustically as 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 well as um, as well as electric. And for this year, um, I'm ha I'm having just two models. One is the um, Nautilus, which has got the the new sound hole, which is the development from the original Revelator. And the other one is the standard Revelator. I'm going to concentrate on those and then look at spruce topped instruments next year. Um, but uh, but you know you're going to get your Revelators uh, at the end of this beginning of next week and probably want to do a review on them because you're going to have a Koa one and a Karina one. And what's, you know, you'll be able to take a look at the difference between the two afterwards. Because on these instruments, I can actually notice the difference of top wood. I can't necessarily know, recognize the difference with um, my acoustic instruments because they some, seem to sound all the same to me. Probably not to you, but just, just to me. I will definitely, uh, yeah, I will definitely be recording uh comparison of them i think uh they probably won't even hit the website though because i've got such a long waiting list for people kind of waiting <laughs> but there's um yeah it's people people want the instrument that gets a demo on the youtube channel so oh. i think that's why they're kind of willing to wait for us to get one so yeah, so yeah i'm really excited to, what i'd like to do is i'd like to end this interview by saying something about you guys and uh, which i think is important Southern Ukulele Store have been an absolute champion and supporter of my work and support of other people's work as well. And I think that you guys perform one of the most important services to the ukulele industry in the UK. What, what Ukulele Orchestra of Great Britain does is introduce people to the ukulele. They, they don't introduce people to playing the ukulele, but they introduce them to the ukulele. What you guys do is you are able to facilitate people to get the ukulele that they really need. And I promote you guys because uh, somebody comes to me and, and my instruments too much say, well, go to the Southern Ukulele store, have a talk to them. They have the expertise. So my thanks and mahalo out to you guys for being such great champions of, of, of the instrument and to have this important role in the UK of being the suppository <laughs> not depository, <laughs> the depository of knowledge. And that's what you're doing, Alex. So hey, thank you, Pete. Yeah, we, we really value what we do at SUS. Um, I mean, I'm actually making this video for my own channel, but I was going to take some bits and put them on the, uh, the Revelator video I'm going to make next week for SUS. And uh, I just, I love my job. I'm so lucky. I get, I get to talk to people like you. Learn, I learn something new pretty much every day and I think it's really important in the guitar industry everybody's quite happy to shit on each other very quickly and very easily yeah, and yeah. I don't really feel a sense of that um, in the no the ukulele the ukulele is a community instrument isn't it you know the sure. number of clubs have grown out of it the, the fact that people want to play it um, I, I don't know about you but I when I used to do my gigs my blues gigs in the in the northwest of England and stuff and um the crowd become a bit restless, you know, after half an hour. I'd get the ukulele out. The entire pub would go quiet. Everybody would smile. You play this song and they'll go, wow. And you've got your audience back. You could play your last two numbers before you break. And, and, and you know, it, and it has the same effect. I, when I played in America, I used to play out in America when I lived there. It had exactly the same effect. You bring out a ukulele and people smile. And I do not know anybody that can play a sad song committedly on a ukulele you can't play minor keys it's just it just doesn't work <laughs> yeah especially in high g you've got no chance but but the uh yeah I've, i had a customer once who's uh, passed away now he had a really bad 
bad time of it. And he said to me the last time I saw him that the ukulele was kind of like an anesthetic. He, he just, he found it just, it kind of made everything go away for him. Uh, yeah, so and, and I, it, it does. It, it brings communities together through groups. Um, it's a great solo instrument. It's not like a guitar where you have a, as there's quite a long learning curve in order to get a good sound out of a guitar. I taught my daughter to play ukulele in half an hour. And within two weeks, we were playing at the Ukulele Society of Great Britain's uh, concert on stage in two weeks. That's, that is, and there's so many stories like that, for sure. Um, and she had never played the instrument before, never played the guitar. 13-year-old little girl with me on stage, you know, and uh, doing a couple of blues numbers. And it was, it was, just, it was just amazing. You know? And, and that, is, that, is, that is why this instrument is so fun to make, because it's fun to play. Yeah. And it makes people happy. It's so cool. It's got yeah. good karma. Well, I think we should leave it there because we're never going to get more positive than that, are we, Pete? I think the longer the longer we talk, probably the more uh, the more pessimistic we get. That's uh, that's a fantastic way to end it. Um, no, I've had a fantastic yeah. chat, and thank you so much yeah. for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Alex. You have a great day now. Take care. No worries.